Hello everyone, what's happening? Welcome back to the Do Follow Football Podcast with me, Stefanos. The weekly football podcast where I chat to you guys about all the goings on in the Premier League. Did Chelsea ruin my mood for yet another painful, miserable week? Has the pressure on Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag grown even more? And how's it looking at the bottom of the Premier League with the relegation fight fiercer than ever? Find out on this week's episode of the Do You Follow Football Podcast. Right, guys, it's Wednesday morning. I'm not going to tell you what time it is because it's ridiculously early. But I finished my working week. I'm here in my living room with my coffee. I'm ready for this week's episode. I can't wait. This is the most exciting time of my week. So let's get started with the most surprising result of the weekend, where Arsenal beat Bournemouth 4-0. No, I'm only joking. Uh, we'll come to that later. Uh, but the all jokes aside, the shock result of the weekend, Wolves beat Man City 2-1 at Molyneux, with a Ruben Diaz own goal in the first half and a He Chan goal to get the winner in between a fantastic free kick by Alvarez. Now, the first half for me was a carbon copy of City's opening 45 minutes a few weeks ago against West Ham, finding themselves 1-0 down at half-time. And I know it went down as an own goal uh, the opener, but it was such good work down the wing from Pedro Neto. He carried the ball so far, rode a couple of challenges, and I said in last week's episode about him being... You know, such a key man for Wolves and he proved it once again this week. He, he was excellent and for me, this is one of the reasons why I think Wolves can and, and will stay up because they've, they've got the capabilities to, to get a result like this and you know, teams like Luton, Sheffield United um, and Burnley, they just they don't have, I just don't think they have this kind of result in them and Wolves, if they continue to play like this in this manner, you know, it's not going to be the only time we see them upset a team like City, Arsenal or Spurs and you know, they've got this performance in them. We saw all the way back in game week number one where, you know, they played really well against United and probably unlucky not to get not to get anything from the game. But this week, they got the three points. And what a massive three points it was for them. And they fought so hard against City all game throughout the 90 minutes. I think City, obviously, they're going to be disappointed, you know, expecting the win. Uh, and after the equaliser, which was phenomenal, by the way, it was a great free kick by Alvarez. After that, it looked like looks like they were going to get the, the inevitable winner and, you know, go on and collect another three points like they have been doing week after week. But this week, it wasn't to be for them. Obviously, I know they've got some key injuries uh, to key players and obviously the Rodri suspension is, is tough for them. They're struggling in midfield. I thought when Calvin Phillips came on, he was okay, but, you know, he's not Rodri. But, you know, City, they still had a strong enough start and 11 on the pitch to get the three points, in my opinion. I thought Erdin Haaland was a bit off the pace, to be honest. I know he's not really a... He's not really heavily involved in, in City's build-up. You look at, say, someone like Gabriel Jesus... You know, he'll have a lot of touches in the game and he'll he'll be involved a lot, involved a lot in the passages of play. Haaland, on the other hand, can, you know, he'll have seven or eight touches in a match, maybe only two or three in the actual opposition's penalty box, but he'll finish the game with, you know, two or three goals. So we know that's his game, but he's been missing a few easy chances by his standards over the past few weeks. Uh, Phil Foden as well, I didn't think he was at his best. You know, he tried, he was involved a lot, but I just didn't think he was as sharp as he as he has been in recent weeks. And, you know, City now, only a point ahead at the top of the league. It sets up an absolute blockbuster of a game against Arsenal. Speaking of Arsenal, unlike City, they had a routine 4-0 win against Bournemouth. And I think it's the best we've seen of Arsenal this season, uh, to be honest. Saka was brilliant all game, a threat. Went off injured, a little bit worrying. He also went off injured uh, in the Champions League match where they lost to Lens as well. So, potentially, he might be out for the City game, but... We'll have to see how that develops. Odegaard, again, brilliant. Probably the best game he's played this season as well. And you know, Bournemouth, they started well enough, if I'm being honest. Early pressing. They tried to go toe-to-toe with Arsenal. But as soon as Arsenal got their first goal through, Bukayo Saka, that was it. They didn't really look back. And 
it was clear that there was only going to be one winner uh, in this match. And like I said, you know, Bournemouth, they started all right, but they're defending, they, they really didn't help themselves. Really poor defending for the goals and really rash defending too with both the penalty incidents, the challenges on Enketia and Odegaard. It, it, it was poor. And, you know, Arsenal now, after winning 4-0, seeing City lose 2-1 and looking at their injuries and the suspension of Rodri, surely they'll be looking at the City fixture now and... I really think they'll fancy themselves. I think they've got a good chance. If, if there's any time to, to play City, sh- surely it's now. And I'll be putting a poll for this episode as well. So make sure you guys vote and let me know who you think will take the three points. Or maybe, you know, will the points be shared? A team who are in tremendous form at the moment is Newcastle. Uh, they beat Burnley 2-0. And as I said, their form is, is fantastic at the moment. 2-0 against Burnley this week. 8-0 against Sheffield United last week. Uh, 0-0 draw in the Champions League with AC Milan 1-0 win against City in the League Cup as well that's a big win for them and the 1-0 win against Brentford with uh, a few weeks ago as well zero goals conceded in the last five while scoring 12 themselves and they've really put that Brighton and Liverpool losses behind them and you know not the massive scoreline this week for them but for me it was just as comfortable for them this week other than the chance early on for Burnley uh, that came from Dan Burns' slip, you know, Dan Steven Gerrard there. They, they didn't really do much at all, Burnley, to, to worry Newcastle. They were comfortable. There was a fabulous goal from Almirong to go 1-0 up. I don't think Burnley were awful, if I'm being, if I'm being honest. They just didn't, just didn't really have much going forward. And, you know, they were OK in the midfield. And I don't think they necessarily defended badly, apart from, obviously, the penalty incident. That was an awfully time tackle, much like Bournemouth, really rash. Uh, also, I'll be talking about their fixture uh, the Tuesday night game against Luton later on as well. Uh, as we're on the subject of Luton and Burnley, uh, Luton got their first win of the season. Yes, that's right. They won a game. They beat Everton 2-1. And it seemed as though Everton, you know, were back to their wasteful selves this week, unfortunately. You know, they created a lot of chances, good chances at that as well. And how many times have I said that already this season? But they couldn't finish their chances. And after a really good win against Brentford, I, I really thought they'd kick on. And Sean Dyche is really going to be feeling the pressure now because I just feel like this was a game that they really, really... This is the game, these are the points that they need to be picking up because, you know, I know it's early in the season, but they're, they're relegation six-pointers. But, no, take nothing away from Luton. Like I said, it's their first win. And I, I've been giving them a lot of stick recently. I don't think they've played awfully in, in the past few weeks. They just haven't been strong enough, but... This week they were clinical and of course we still got their match to talk about with Burnley which we'll be covering a little bit later also. From the likes of Burnley, Luton and Everton who have all struggled in front of goal for the majority of this season to the league's top scorers coming into this week, Brighton. They faced Aston Villa and this match, well, it was full of goals but not for Brighton this time. This week Aston Villa were absolutely ruthless. Ollie Watkins, the star of the show, second to none. He was, he was phenomenal this week. Surely Gareth Southgate must call him up for England soon. Surely. He was at the game as well. Um, I was really looking forward to the tactical battle between Emery and Deserve. You know, two great teams, two great football insides that play phenomenal football. You know, great players as well. But we had nothing of the sorts, if I'm being honest. Villa were, they were head and shoulders above Brighton this week. And, you know, I, I thought Brighton should have probably gone 1-0 up with Stupinan's early chance. And... You know, they did get themselves on the score sheet to make it 3-1, but it was too late for that, if I'm being honest. The second half, they were much better than the first. They asked questions of Villa defensively, which is something they failed to do in the opening 45, but that's, that's as good as it got for Brighton. And, you know, once the fourth goal went in for Villa, you could, you could sense the game was over. Um, interesting stat as well, going into this match, both teams 
had a 100% win record this season after going 1-0 up. So you sense that the first goal, it was going to be so important as to how the narrative of this match would go. And Villa got that all-important first goal and they didn't really look back after that. Like I said, there was a there was a short period where it was 3-1 Brighton. They started to turn the screw. It started to look like there was something in this game for them. But you know, other than that, Villa, they didn't look back, as I've said, and they played a near-perfect game. And as for Brighton, it's, I don't want to say a humbling, but it's certainly a reality check for them. You know, Solly March, he missed a few good chances. A stupid man had a poor showing too. But Matoma, he was really quiet and he struggled to create any any kind of end product really, and it was it was uncharacteristic from from him. And that's actually how I'd sum up Brighton this week. They were very very uncharacteristic. Uh, sorry, uncharacteristic even. God, English, please. Uh, they play Liverpool next as well, and that will be an even bigger bigger test for them. As for Aston Villa, they'll be feeling good. Wins against Chelsea, and now a six one win against Brighton. And you know, I know I'm, now Chelsea haven't been doing well this season, but you know, on paper, it's still a great win for them. And this Brighton side, again, this Brighton side, they're no slouches. Top scorers going into this weekend. Brilliant players. Deserve You have to give him credit. I know some people have actually not given him a stick, but have questioned him a little bit. Arrogant, the things he's been saying. But you have to give them credit. They've been phenomenal. And, you know, they they took the game to them and they showed no fear. And, and they were good for their win. They, they thoroughly deserved it. And if I'm being honest, you know, you think of the performances this season. Great performances by Liverpool. In the past few weeks, Man City, obviously Newcastle winning 8-0 last week. Spurs flying, Arsenal consistent. But I think if you're looking at everything and all the games played, I think this Aston Villa display is probably the best 90 minutes we've seen seen from a side this season so far. On to a team now whose form has gone under the radar a little bit for, for all the wrong reasons, really. Uh, it's Brentford. They drew 1-1 with Forest and they've only got one win this season in the league. And that win came all the way back in August uh, against Fulham and the goals for them there. They're really starting to dry up for Brentford and I don't necessarily think the performances themselves have been bad. I thought they've played okay in recent weeks, but like I said, the goals have dried up and the results have suffered. You know, from a Brentford point of view, the results have been they've they've been subpar and, and it's concerning. I thought, you know, that they were unlucky not to get a penalty from the Matt Turner challenge on Wissa. I think if you ask me, I think if Wissa stays down there, uh he wins the penalty. But he got right back up trying to, you know, to put the ball in the back of the net, get the ball first. But evidently, maybe he made the wrong decision. Maybe he should have stayed down. And I think if he did stay down, I think they would have got a penalty. I think it would have gone to VAR and they would have been awarded a penalty. But it wasn't to be. Um, and he actually got roughed about a little bit, really. Uh, There's a painful challenge on him by Nia Kata, who, who got sent off for his troubles. It was a, it looked like a painful one, you know, stud scraping right down the back. Uh, of the leg and then uh, the resulting free kick it was a great great delivery from Jensen but you know Forrest I think they were, they were alright as well you know they held their own they replied with their own header to equalise and, and share the points and you know if I'm being honest yes both teams I don't think they played bad you know I think the draw was a fair result bit lacklustre I think Forrest we've seen them play better and Brentford again we we know they're capable of more but you know a point it, it doesn't really do do much for either side, if I'm being honest. Now, I spoke about Brentford's poor results and Forrest also now about a win in the league since September. Uh, but, you know, that was only against Chelsea and, you know, everybody beats Chelsea at the moment. But, you know, what work to do for Brentford. And I spoke uh, at the start of the season about, you know, missing Ivan Tony And for the opening few weeks, the goals were going in for Brentford. Wisser and Bremu, they were, they were playing really well. But, like I said, the goals seem to have dried up. And it's... 
Maybe the load is too heavy to carry until January, I don't know, but we'll have to see. And speaking of teams that have beaten Chelsea this season, West Ham won 2-0 against Sheffield United uh, this week. I thought it was a really good first goal uh, by West Ham. Worked really, really well. Bowen was brilliant, like he has been all season, and it was a great finish as well. Uh, the second goal, kind of the opposite, really. They didn't really have to work too hard to get it, to be honest. It was, it was really poor from Sheffield United's point of view. A, a loose pass, a casual pass, it was, it was poor. And you know, West Ham, they unlocked their defence through the middle far, far too easily for me. But I'm not surprised at it. It's something we've seen week in, week out. And after that 8-0 freshing from Newcastle last week, it's more misery for them. You know, One draw and six losses from their opening seven games. And I said all the way back in episode one, I put them rock bottom uh, on my prediction for the end of the season. And unfortunately for them, they they haven't done anything to to prove me wrong. You know, probably the highlight of their season is, you know, being ahead for 90% of the game against Spurs, which ultimately they collapsed in stoppage time and then equalising to City. But other than that, they've they've had nothing to shout about. It's It's been a really tough start for them. And again, I feel like I say it week after week, but I just don't see anything from them that tells me or suggests to me in the slightest that, that they're good enough to, to stay in this league. As far as West Ham are concerned, once they're feeling the pressure, they have lost... Two games back-to-back -back before this fixture, but they were against City and Liverpool, you know, tough opponents. Uh, but yeah, it will do them a world of good to get this win. And they've got Newcastle next up, and that will be a very tough, tough match for them at the London Stadium. Manchester United have now got more losses this season than they have wins. Uh, but I'd like to start off by giving Palace some credit, actually. Uh, it was a brilliant strike for the only goal of the game uh, to win it 1-0. And they haven't looked great, Palace, since coming back from the international break, but... This is a big three points for them, a real confidence booster. I think they've, you know, they've been a bit lacklustre in recent weeks. I don't think they played amazing. I think the result is mainly down to you know, disappointment from United's side. But you, know, you have to give them credit. They played well enough to win, I feel like. And it's a big three points for them. And like I said, especially after coming back from the international break, not necessarily playing too well. I think they lost their, their groove a little bit, their rhythm. Uh, but yeah, big three points for for Roy Hoshin's side, but Man United, uh, I don't really know where to start with them because much like Chelsea, it's just it's just the same problems to them. I, I don't know what's going on there. I feel like I do say it every week, but once again this week, Bruno Rashford, you know, where, where are they? When your key players aren't performing, you've got no chance. And this week, they didn't turn up for United. And I've said in, in previous uh, episodes, you know, when Bruno plays well, United play well. And then when Bruno does play well and United play well, it brings other players into it. And he's, he's not doing it at the moment. I think the only positive for them is probably Hoyland at the moment. You know, he scored two goals uh, against Galatasaray last night as well. But again, lost again. That's zero out of six points in the Champions League as well. And I, I, I'm not quite sure what what's going on. I don't know what kind of dirt that uh, Rashford has on Ten Hag as well. But somehow he manages to, to play the majority of the games, even though he... He make, he's got poor decision-making and he has so little impact in terms of end product. And I know it's not in the Premier League, but again, last night we saw it. There was a, he was a breakaway uh, counter-attack. He was one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper. He tried to square it to Bruno Fernandes and he got it horribly wrong. And you know, that cost United as well. I'm not saying the, the loss was purely down to Marcus Rashford, of course, but you know, if United score there, it's a different game. And I spoke last week about his decision-making and... Once again, it, it it's still poor and it's surprising because Marcus Rashford, you know, he's not a kid. 
you know, yes, he's still fairly young, but for a young player, for a player of his age, sorry, he's had a lot of experience. He's been in this Man United first team from years ago and his decision-making is still, is still questionable, if I'm being honest. And, you know, end products is something that, that United really struggle with. It's not just, uh, not just Rashford. I don't want to put all the blame on one player. You know, it's, it's a team. There's 11, 11 players on that pitch. But, you know, end product is something that they struggle with. And again, this week, they had 77% possession, over 700, 741 passes to be, to be exact. But yet they've got no goals. And if I was colourblind and didn't see them playing in red, I probably think I was watching Chelsea because it was that poor. And Eric Ten Hag, especially after that loss in the Champions League, he'll really be feeling the pressure as much as ever now. And I feel for him, you know, I understand that yeah, when you come to Man United, it's, it's a massive job. Probably one of the biggest jobs in English football, maybe even in world football. The pressure is massive. And, but on a human level, yeah, I, I feel for him. He's had a few injuries to deal with to key players. Um, and against Palace United, ended up with, you know, Harry Maguire on the field. Donny van der Beek on the field. And these are two players that the manager, he clearly doesn't want. But unfortunately, because of the owner situation, he's stuck with those players. And after finishing third last season with a trophy, I really expected Man United to, to kind of push on, especially with Onana and Hoyland. I know obviously Hoyland was injured towards the start of the season and you know he's coming to the team and he has seemed to hit the ground running. I think there's big things for him over the next few months. Onana, we all know about his... His ball playing abilities, but when you're when you when when you try and fill the boots of David de Gea, it it is tough because yes, you know, last season we all saw the comps, three four minute clips on Twitter on social media about his blunders, and you know trying to play out from the back and but it's it's still tough boots to fill because people forget how good David de Gea has been for United over the years. Um, but I think if you look at these two keepers, it's they're polar opposites. Onana is brilliant with his feet, but he seems to have you know, proper dom hands. And he's diving. He's, he's like a snail in mud. You just can't get to anything. But then on the flip side, you have David De Gea, who's a brilliant shot stopper. I remember a few years ago against uh, Arsenal, he pulled off like a triple save from point-blank range, and it was phenomenal. And I remember on AFTV, they, they were going crazy saying he could save the Titanic. But he was genuinely, genuinely that good. But... Like I said, with Onana coming in, they look worse at the back. And I don't think you can put this down simply to they've had a bad start to the season now because it's been long enough. And I think it is fair to say that, 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 that they're in a crisis, if I'm being honest. Speaking of a team in crisis, Chelsea. Now, the last time Chelsea won a Premier League match before this week was way, way, way back in August. A loss at home to Nottingham Forest, a 0-0 draw with Bournemouth. And the loss to Aston Villa since that last win. And in those games, we've scored a grand total of zero goals. But this week, we actually won a game. In the West London derby, we beat Fulham 2-0. And look, I don't want to be reactionary. You know, when we lose, I try not to overreact. <laughs> Probably doesn't seem that way uh, if you've watched the podcast. Uh, sorry, if you listen to the podcast in recent weeks. But at the same time, when we win a game, again, I don't want to be reactionary. Because we still do have problems and... You know, don't get me wrong, there's still pressure on the players, there's still a big pressure on Poch. Uh, this result, it doesn't change everything, but it's certainly a start, uh, a step in the right direction. I was looking forward to seeing Brozier up top with Jackson's suspension. It's not been easy to watch Jackson struggle in front of goal recently, despite his hard work uh, for the team. And I thought Brozier, he played well, he missed an early chance. Uh, Mudrick as well missed an early chance, both of them 
got their shot terribly, terribly wrong after some good build-up play. And after those chances, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, here we go again, same old Chelsea. But after that, we kind of pulled our socks up, so to speak. And after the early misses, uh, Brojar, he was fantastic. He was great. He had good hold-up play, brave on the ball. Was there a bit of fortune with his goal? Yes. Do I think Fulham were a bit nervous and a bit rattled at the back after just conceding? Absolutely. But you have to be there in that position, in the situation to to get lucky. And speaking of the first, uh, speaking of the goal, sorry, the first goal was a really good move. Beautifully ball sprayed out on the left uh, from Caicedo to Colwell. Uh, Caicedo as well, I thought he had a very good game. I'll talk about the midfield a little bit in a moment. I'll touch on that. Colwell uh, on the left-hand side, he produced a great ball. It was a really good run in between the defenders by Mudrick. A uh, great bit of chest control as well. And it was a coolly dispatched shot past the keeper. And, you know, I've, I've wanted this for so long. I've, I've been waiting for him to... Yeah, to, to produce more in terms of performances and end products. Because, you know, I, I, when I look at him, do I see a good player? Yes, I do. But he hasn't been doing it enough. He'll have, you know, good 10, 20, 25-minute spells. But I haven't seen it enough from him. But, you know, we, we've seen the glimpses. But, or the sorry, the glimpses of greatness. But it just hasn't been enough for me. But Monday night, I thought he was fantastic until he came off. And I'm fortunate that he has come off. And I don't understand it. I said about injuries... It seems like when a player starts doing well, they get injured. You know, Mudrick, I like Mudrick, I've got nothing against him. I want him to do well, but well, I have to be honest, he's he's been piss poor since um since he signed for us. And yet the second he has a great a great forty five minutes and scores a nice goal, he goes off injured. It was the same with Chakwameka a few weeks ago against West Ham, got a goal, great goal at that, and then we haven't seen him since because of the injury, but uh, I think from what I've seen, uh, heard from Poch after the match, doesn't seem to be anything too serious, but we've heard that before. So but we'll have to see how that develops. I really don't think we've actually got any more space on the medical table for another player, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, but the midfield, they worked really hard as well. Uh, actually, the most balanced, I think, we've seen us look this season so far. Conor Gallagher was great too. and It's tough for me to talk about Conor Gallagher because I'm a little bit torn. If you'd have asked me before the start of the season, I would have said he needs to get gone. I don't think he's good enough. But this season, he's he surprised me, especially with the captaincy as well. Do, do I think he's ability-wise, he's good enough? Controversial? Well, I don't know. You lot might agree with me. But in my opinion, I don't actually think he's good enough in terms of ability. Has he matured a lot in the past year? I think he has. Has he improved in the past year? Yes, I think he has. Do I think he's learned a lot of things and matured You know from... Being on loan at West Brom, being on loan at Palace. Yeah, I do. But despite his, I don't want to say shortcomings, so I think that's a bit harsh, but despite him not really being like a luxury player, a player that's good to watch, someone like an Enzo Fernandez in midfield or someone like a KDB in midfield, you know, I could go on and on about all the great midfielders in, in the Premier League. But when you think about the good Premier League midfielders to watch, that are joy to watch, you don't really think of Conor Gallagher. And I don't actually think Connor excels at anything, if I'm being honest. And that's not a that's not a dig. It's not really a compliment. It's just it's just my opinion. But he's well rounded, uh, and I th- and I think he played well. His desire to win the ball back was impressive. And you know, what, one thing that you will always get from him, regardless of if we win, lose, or draw, if we're playing Luton, if we're playing Man City, he's always going to give you that effort. You know, he covers a lot of ground, and despite me questioning whether or not he's good enough in terms of ability, you can't question his determination, you can't question his his effort and his commitment to Chelsea and 
after the past few years with players like Ziyech and Aubameyang and Lukaku, who am I to question a player who gives his all on the pitch? And like I said, if you'd asked me at the start of the season or in the summer, I would have said, yeah, get him gone. But he surprised me. And if I'm honest, I think he deserves to be starting. Yes, the ability might not be there. He might not be as good as Caicedo or Enzo Fernandez, but you know, the, even though what, 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 he, uh, what he lacks potentially in ability, he definitely makes up for with commitment and, and desire. And if I'm honest with you, when I see him on a che- team sheet nowadays, I, I'm not worried because I know there that there's a player that's going to put in 110% and that's all you can really ask for. Um, I spoke about his desire to win the ball back. I actually thought we pressed well um, as a team as well. Uh, Fulham, a bit about them. They were, they were poor, if I'm being honest. Uh, you know, the two early goals really sunk them. And in the first half, William was their best player by far. He was the only one that really you know, got out of defence uh, up against Cucurello at right back. Who again, since he's joined Chelsea, I couldn't really tell you a good 90 minutes that he's had because he, he hasn't. You know, he played, I thought he played well against Brian in the Cup um, recently. But other than that, again, it's been miserable for him, if I'm being honest. Um, but again, he, he had a good game. Um, William, you know, he, he kept him busy. And it's good to see that William had a good game because I've got a soft spot for William, obviously being a Chelsea player. But the second half, they they improved for them. The introduction of Vinicius and Awobi, that definitely made a difference. And there was a period in the second half, you know, kind of a five, ten minute spell where Fulham, they saw a lot more of the ball. And I feel like our tempo actually dropped a little bit. We didn't move the ball quick enough. Uh, certainly not as quick as we did uh, in the first half. I think the, intro- not the introduction of Matson, but I think the, the 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 substitution of Madrid obviously that hindered us the, you know not an issue with Matson he had a good game and I like Matson as a player I want to see more of him but obviously Madrid with that raw pace and on the counter attack is always um, is always dangerous when you're two 0 up you know you can kind of sit back drop a few yards and you've got that that option as a as an attacking outlet that out ball so that certainly uh, affects us a little bit but. Other than that, you know, that kind of five, ten minute spell, we were comfortable, to be honest. And Fulham, as, as a whole, I just don't think they they did enough going forward. And, you know, to put the defence under pressure, in my opinion, and defensively as well, I don't think they were bad. But for the goals, you know, they weren't good enough. Yes, Madrid's goal was nice. It was uh, some nice long balls and a nice delivery into Madrid. But it didn't really feel like we had to work hard for it. And obviously, the second goal, yes, probably they were a bit rattled and it was a bit of fortune. But... I just don't think we actually had to work hard for the goals that we scored, if I'm being honest. And it's, it's strange to to say that about Chelsea because recently we've been huffing and puffing, but we couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. And we seem to do it with relative ease uh, against Fulham. But I, I, I'm still wondering about Fulham. I, just, I don't know where their, where their goals are going to come from this season. You know, they, they didn't have enough going forward. And we haven't conceded a lot of goals this season. You know, three to West Ham, only one to Forest. Keep clean sheet against Bournemouth, only one against Liverpool. But at times, the defence has looked, I don't want to say shaky, but a little bit nervous. I feel as though, although I don't worry about our defence too much, I do feel like when it's put under enough pressure, I don't, I, I question how strong it is and, you know, whether it will crumble or not. But Fulham, they just didn't ask enough questions, if I'm being honest. So I think they'll be, they'll be disappointed with the game because, you know, we all know if, if there's ever a time to play Chelsea, it's probably... Well, now in the past few weeks, uh, but no, it, it was good. It was good to, for us to get a win. It was glad for me to not be depressed uh, this week, and we've got Burnley next up, and I'm hoping for back-to-back wins for Chelsea.
Now, a match that has been spoken about all week, and unfortunately for all of the wrong reasons, uh, was Spurs versus Liverpool. The Lily Whites snatched a 2-1 win with virtually the last kick of the game against nine men Liverpool. And I don't really know where to start with this one, to be honest. We had two red cards, uh, controversial VAR decision. Well, not controversial, just plain wrong. Uh, VAR decision, massive mistake. And a 96-minute uh, own goal. So I suppose we'll start with the first red card uh, for Curtis Jones. He got sent off in the 25th minute. Um, and, you know, that completely changes the game. Losing the midfielder so early on, you know, it's tough. And I think in some ways, it, it was harsh. I mean, you know, it's a big game with big tackles will be flying in. But, you know, the argument will be that, you know, his foot went over the top of the ball. Yes, yes, he did get a lot of the ball. But when your foot goes over the top of the ball and you make that kind of contact, it... It's always going to be argued that that you're not in control and you're endangering an opponent. I actually thought it was a tad similar to the Gusto red card um, last week. Again, he won the ball, but he went over the top of it. And I mean, I think it was it was I think it was right to go to VAR. I'm not saying that was a mistake, but I, I I'm not sure if you see on the on the monitor he showed a still image and then he showed it in slow motion. And I just think he always looks worse like that. And I, th I think, in my opinion, they should be shown the, the replay, but just in real time a few times. And then if the ref is then saying, OK, well, do you know what? I want to see it in slow-mo. Then, yeah, show it to him in slow-mo. But in my, in my opinion, I don't want to put out wild accusations, but as soon as he comes up to the monitor and it's on the freeze frame of the impact of the tackle where the boot connects with, uh, I think it was Basuma, the tackle was on, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and then the slow motion, I feel like it's not pushing the ref, but, you know, it, I feel like it influences the decision a, a little bit, but that, that's just my opinion. Um, but, you know, like I said, it was a big decision and you know, it, it changed the game. And speaking of things that changed the game, Luis Diaz put the 10 minute who, who won the up. Um, Simon Hooper then blew his whistle to, to disallow the goal and instantly the freeze frame of when Salah released the ball uh, was shown on screen. You know, there were no, no lines drawn and, you know, you could clearly see it was onside. At first, I thought, okay, there's no lines just purely because it was such a such a quick decision. You, know, you could see he was not miles onside, but he was a good, you know, half a leg onside. And it went to VAR and, you know, you're thinking, okay, brilliant. The refs, you know, and the lines, when they've got the on-field decision wrong, maybe the ref didn't, you know, get the angle on it. Uh, sorry, the linesman even. But it's going to go to VAR. They're going to step in and they're going to rightfully... Uh, give the goal and right the wrong. Fantastic. That's what it's there to do. That's what it's there for. But my God, were we wrong? And I'm sure by now you've all heard the audio released by the PGMOL. And, you know, upon, upon looking at the, sorry, upon listening to the audio, it was just embarrassing. The communication is just poor. Um, and it was just, it was decided very quickly, even before that audio was released and just upon watching the game, it seemed to be on the screen for, for a few moments and then straight away they were like, yep, no offsides. Off we go, and and hearing the audio, it was just embarrassing. You know, they all spoke over each other. Half of them didn't actually know what they were checking for, if I'm being honest. And you know, if that goal's given, which obviously it should have been, it 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 changes everything. And you know, it's a shame because I thought Liverpool fought really well with ten men and nine men, and I also thought Spurs. You know, they got the win. Let's not forget, Spurs got the win. And this Liverpool side, they're tough to beat. 
and the whole the whole VAR thing it, it just overshadowed the overshadowed the entire the entire game and and ever since then you know I, I'm releasing this podcast early morning sorry recording it early morning on Wednesday and I'll be releasing it on Wednesday morning and as of this moment you know everyone was talking about the football everyone was talking about Villa you know United and that and as soon as the Liverpool as soon as this happened in the Liverpool Spurs game it's all anyone's been talking about and it's a real shame that a weekend of football a weekend of football sorry has unfortunately been overshadowed by by the VAR and it's not the first time and I'm sure it won't be the last and I'd like actually to do a a deep dive and and kind of go into my thoughts a little more about VAR I want to mainly talk about the action um outside of the uh the official error uh, at the moment but in later episode we've got an international break in the next couple of weeks so I'll definitely be doing a little more on VAR uh, in the next couple of weeks but I just don't understand how the officials can get it so wrong um it's, it's it's crazy we've got the perfect technology for it but yet the people using the technology is, is they're clearly incompetent and yeah it's tough and like I said I thought as well the the decision to send Jota off I thought he was a bit unlucky if I'm being honest I think the the, the first booking is is what got it for me it was his first foul and it was accidental at that and, and he got booked for it and I think he himself was surprised he'd only just come on on the field actually he wasn't on the pitch for long at all and then the second one, I mean, I probably have to watch it a few times again, but it, it didn't seem like upon... I've watched the replay a few times. It didn't really seem there was much contact, if if any, to be honest. But like I said, it was the, it was the first book in the eye fault uh, was really harsh. And, you know, speaking of harsh, it was a horrible moment from a Liverpool perspective uh, with Matip um, shinned it into his own net past Alisson. And Alisson, I thought he had a great game, putting up some really, really good saves. And he kept Liverpool in the match. And I thought actually Liverpool, their, their defending in general was, it was heroic after, after the sending off. So I thought they, they held strong at the back. And I thought Son and Madison, they were excellent. They had a really good game yet again this week. And you can, you can see the difference. Uh, Ange Postecoglou took them off a little bit early uh, last week against Arsenal. I actually thought a little bit uh, prematurely in my opinion. And then he brought them off again this weekend. And um, you, know, you, can, you can tell the difference between when they're on the pitch and when they're off the pitch, they're so, so important uh, to this side and the way they play. And again, from a Liverpool perspective, I thought Salah was lively. Diaz, you know, should have had a goal. He was great. Gakpo was good as well, along with uh, Kulisevsky. But all of that, you know, those players that I've just mentioned, Son, Madison, Diaz, Gakpo, Salah, Kulisevsky, all brilliant players. And they've all had good seasons. But unfortunately, all of that was just overshadowed by the VAR era. And like I said, it's a real shame because aside from that era... It was two great teams, you know, informed players with managers who have given us some really entertaining matches already. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a shame. Uh, you know, the two red cards, the Curtis Jones ones, I can understand it. Much like the Gusto one um, last week. Obviously, it's tough for me to judge them the same, being a Chelsea fan. But I didn't personally actually think Gusto should have got sent off initially. But after looking at the replay, I can see why he got sent off. And again, Curtis Jones... He got the ball. It was obviously the follow-through that gets him into trouble. But as soon as it goes to VR, you know that he's probably going to be red-carded. I thought he was a bit unlucky, but I, I, I can understand why the ref sent him off there. Um, and just one more thing about the VAR. Simon Hooper, in that, in that instance, obviously that's not, his, that's not his fault. The VAR is there to assist us, uh, the sister referees. And unfortunately, it, it, it didn't do its job. So it's, it's a shame. Now on to Tuesday night's fixture, which saw an early potential relegation six-pointer between Luton and Burnley. Obviously, both of them played already 
uh, in the weekend, sorry, on the weekend. And Luton would have wanted to build from their first win of the season against Everton, but it was not to be. And Burnley took all three points to get themselves their first win of the season, leaving only Bournemouth and Sheffield United as the only teams left in the Premier League without a win this season. The first goal for me was a poor one to concede, uh, in my opinion. Uh, Burnley, they passed out from the back through the midfield far too easily. Um, and they sprung the offside trap, Luton, and it didn't pay off. They were slow to react after the ball went through. It was a great finish by Foster, I thought. Uh, Carlton Morris as well, he was unlucky not to win his side of penalty. Certainly looking back on the replay, um, Actually, at first, I didn't, I didn't think it was a penalty. I thought the defender got the ball. But looking at the replay, it doesn't seem like he got a touch on the ball. So, I don't I, I was surprised that they wasn't uh, that it wasn't pulled back. VAR checking it and they wasn't awarded a penalty. But nevertheless, Lewin did get an equaliser if you added by you. Which, you know, if you look at the, the balance of play, the run of play, I thought they deserved it. I thought they, you know, they huffed and puff and they asked more questions of Burnley as the game went on, but a mere minute after that, they found themselves behind yet again. It was a beautiful strike from Larson. A worthy goal, in my opinion, to uh, to win it for them. And it's looking really tight down there at the bottom of the league now. You know, you've got Everton, Luton, Burnley, all on four points. Uh, Everton with a superior goal difference to Burnley and Luton, so they're just above them. Then you've got Bournemouth second from bottom with three points, and then Sheffield United lonely down there with just... Uh, the one point, and you know, soon we've got Everton and Bournemouth playing each other. Uh, speaking of those upcoming fixtures, I'll be talking about the predictions for game week eight in a moment. But um, but yeah, it's looking really tight down there. It's looking just as tight at the bottom of the league as it is at the top of the league. Just before I get into the game week eight predictions, I just wanted to say thank you guys for the support over the past week once again. Much like last week, I'm releasing this episode a little bit later. Uh, that I would have liked. I, I do apologise to that. But thank you guys so much for the support over the past week. Uh, shout out to MCFC underscore Silver 30. Shout out to FPL underscore T-Birds uh, as well. They've also got a podcast, so make sure you guys check that out. Uh, search them on Twitter and then you'll get the link to their Spotify podcast. Go and show them some love. Uh, shout out to Sport Tech Cases and FPL Mama, who's had two top 50k finishes. I could only dream of that after my treacherous few weeks and if you guys are looking to get some of your favorite football shirts at a great price make sure you go and visit footyabove.com uh, orders at the moment over 49.99 gets you free shipping and orders over 79.99 gets you free shipping plus a cheeky little 15 percent off uh, that's all on offer until the 12th so make sure you guys go and grab yourself a football shirt for the next upcoming matches to rep your team so now that we've covered game week seven, onto game week eight, and I'm hoping that this week will be a lot less controversial than the week just gone. Starting off with Spurs, they travel to Kenilworth Road for the Saturday's early kickoff at 12.30, and you know, I only see one winner here. I'm going 3-0 Spurs, but Madison and Son will star once again. On to the Saturday 3pm kickoff, so another side in the relegation picture. Uh, they also host a London side in Burnley who hosts Chelsea at Turf Moor. I'm hoping for my own sanity that Chelsea can build on and kick on from our derby win against Fulham. And I think we will get the job done against Burnley. I think we'll win 2-0. And sticking with the, t- uh, with the theme of the teams fighting it out at the bottom of the table, Bournemouth travelled to Goodison Park. And, you know, they're still searching for their first win of the season. And for me, this has got a draw written all over it. You know, both teams not really scoring that much, and both very inconsistent and having a torrid time, really. I think they'll draw 1-1. Uh, two teams face off at Old Trafford in Man United and Brentford and surely it can't get worse than Man United and for Ten Hag and you know he'll really be feeling the pressure especially after their loss to Galatasaray in the Champions League but Brentford 
you know, they've also been uninspiring in weeks. So I think United will nick it 1-0. Uh, Fulham will fancy their chances at getting back to winning ways against Sheffield United. But you know, their lack of goals is still concerning, even against Sheffield United's poor defence. I'm going to predict a goalless draw between these two at Craven Cottage. Um, and the late kickoff on Saturday, that sees Crystal Palace host Nottingham Forest. Uh, both teams' league form is it's all over the place, if I'm being honest, heading into this week. Uh, Forest, you know, two draws, one win and two losses in their last five league games. Palace's is a little bit better with two wins under their belt and one win, sorry, and one loss and a draw. But, you know, I think the win against United will give them a huge confidence boost uh, and I think they'll take all three points at Selhurst Park and I think Palace will win 2 0. Uh, onto the Sunday games, and a Super Sunday it is. We had a really poor one uh, last week, so it's good to see some good games on Super Sunday, um, and it actually being a Super Sunday as opposed to just being, you know, Sunday. Uh, but yeah, we've got some great matchups starting with Brighton versus Liverpool. Now both teams will be desperate uh, to forget their matches against Spurs and Villa respectively for very different reasons. Uh, but I think Jurgen Klopp side, despite the suspensions, I think they'll take the points, and I think they'll win three one. Newcastle travelled down to London uh, to play against West Ham at the London Stadium. Now, both teams come into this weekend in relatively good form. Newcastle haven't conceded a goal in the Premier League uh, since the Brighton game, which was way back uh, at the start of September. And West Ham, they've only lost to City and Liverpool this season, so both of them are looking good. But Newcastle, you know, they've really looked fantastic uh, in recent weeks. It'll be interesting to see how they get on tonight uh, against PSG in the Champions League. I believe it's an 8 o'clock kickoff. Um so yeah, that'll be a good game. But I'm thinking I'm thinking two two for this. I think, you know, Newcastle, they're gonna put out a very strong side uh, against PSG. Eddie Howe will definitely want to get a win under his belt or even even another point, another draw wouldn't necessarily be a bad result. Um uh, but yeah, I see a draw with this one. I think both of them playing in Europe is gonna start to affect teams uh going on these next few weeks. And the last of the Sunday two PM kickoff is uh Villa versus Wolves. Now both teams They'll be very confident going into this week, if I'm being honest. You know, with Wolves um, coming off the back of beating the treble winners Man City 2-1 and Villa absolutely smashing high flyers Brighton 6-1 last week. Uh, both of them will certainly have that unstoppable feeling. But despite Wolves' heroics uh, last week, I think Villa will just be too strong for them, unfortunately. I'm going to go um, 3-1 Aston Villa. And now the big one, the one that we've all been waiting for. I'm going to be honest, I've had this marked... Uh, on my calendar for a few weeks now. It's going to be a very interesting game. Arsenal versus City. But I do find it um, quite quite tough to call, if I'm being honest. You know, see, they've got a lot of key players out, as we know. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Um, yeah, they've got a lot of key players out, as we know. You know no KDB, no Kovacic, no Silva, no John Stones, all out through injury. And obviously, Rodri is still uh, suspended. Arsenal have Bakayo Saka injury to worry about themselves after he went off against their defeat in the Champions League against Lens. Um, but, you know, Arteta said all, all throughout last week that, you know, he had a knock and maybe he's not going to play. He hasn't trained, blah, blah, blah. But he still started him. So, bit of mind games there, maybe. But I think all the players that City have out, you know, important players at that, you know, surely there's no better time for Arsenal to to play them. They'll definitely fancy themselves. You know, also Arsenal have have the extra day of, of recovery. They played last night, as I've just mentioned, and City play uh, tonight against Leipzig. I believe they're away as well, actually. So I, I think, you know, a lot of things are, are in Arsenal's favour. I think, I think these factors that are in their favour, they'll definitely help them. And I, I think Arsenal will, um, I think they'll win 2-1. 
So guys, that concludes this week's episode of the Do You Follow Football Podcast. Can Chelsea make it two wins on the bounce for the first time this season? Will Spurs finish the weekend top of the Premier League? Will Bournemouth and Sheffield United ever win a game of football? Find out next week on the Do You Follow Football Podcast every week with me. Remember, guys, rate the podcast five stars on Spotify. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on Twitter as well. We're loving the interactions that I've been getting recently. The Twitter handle is at DYFFPod. That's at DYFFPod. That's all from me this week, guys. I hope you heard me. I'll catch you next week.